The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Thank you very much, Eamon. You're listening to The Hard Shoulder here on News Talk. Kieran Cuddy with you until seven o'clock, and I am joined in studio by Mancon McGann, the author and the broadcaster. I'm holding in my hand his new book, Listen to the Land. Speak, Mancon, you're very welcome to the studio. Thank you so much. Great to be here with you again. Uh, what's the book about? The book is about the connection the Irish people have with landscape. So whatever, two years ago I had this book about 32 words for field, looking at the insights that language gives into our heritage, our land, our psyche, the other world. And I thought, what if I looked at the same prism but looked at the landscape, see what is the landscape telling us? And it's only when you go to other cultures around the world, you realise that a sort of uh, a culture that has been living in the same place for many thousands of years, like we've been here for four and a half thousand years, they tend to basically be really rooted to the trees, the cliffs, the rocks, the, 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 the fields, the mountains. They have this mythology connected at all, almost linking it all together, and this sense that there is this world and the other world. So I decided it'd just be interesting to look at that prism to see what elements of that are in Ireland. And what did you find? Does it exist at the same scale that it should when you look at how long we have or people have been living on this island? Yeah, to be fair, I think it exists even more than it should, more than it rightly so. Because I suppose, you know, all cultures around the world would have had a sort of an animistic or a pagan connection with land. Like, the, you know, the, the, the crops were only going to grow if the land gave forth every spring. So it was always this idea that land was this sort of bounteous goddess and the sun was warming it as this male element. And that's been lost, most, mostly unless you go to Aboriginal Australia or to some South American tribe. But actually, once we look again, so many of our myths are rooted with this concept. Like the, the holy wells in Ireland, first, there are so many holy wells, you mm. know, amazing after all the modern modernization and industrialization, every community will have its holy well, often associated with a saint. But if you ask around the older people, they'll say, ah, yeah, there was a saint, but there was also a, a sort of not quite saint or a, a darker figure or a more free and liberal thinking figure. So there was a memory of the pagan I don't know, was it a pagan druid or the pagan priest or priestess that minded that place? And like the mythologies, the lives of St. Cullum Kill and St. Uh, um, Patrick and Bridget are full of these stories of them, the saints going around and saining wells, basically taking the pagan well um, and making it Christian, you know. And that's why, mm. like in the in the 18th century, there was a rule um, that forbade Irish people from worshipping at, at the wells because the wells were entranceway into the other world, into the goddess. Basically, the whole world was a goddess. And these were, the, the wells were almost like vulvas entering into the other world. And like, that's a potent thing, particularly when we realise, you know, well worship is still continuing despite all efforts by Christianity to close it and by the landlords. So we could look at rivers, we could look at trees. Like so many of the place names have this idea of the billa, and the billa was the sacred tree. So the tr- billa was a tree that a tribe would go to fight to protect. All of their power, all of their essence was was contained within the billa. And so for an enemy, it was much better to try and knock down the billa than, let's say, the king. Because the king is just one lifespan. Maybe like maybe he's been a king for 30 years. Mm. A billa, the sacred tree, might have been the tree at the inauguration site for like 800 years for maybe 5,000 years. Like, you know, in Wales, there are trees that are 5,000 years old. We would have had those. But obviously, the first thing the landlords realised come from the 12th century, the Normans onwards, thinking, oh, if the Irish see their power is in the trees, then the sacred trees, the few ones that were marked out, these billa, let's destroy them first. 
but the but the memory is still there in the names. So they destroyed the symbol of cultural identity. Is that exactly, it? Exactly. But we still encode it because let's say even before the 12th century when they the first people who tried to destroy this were the church. And so we go up to Kildare uh, and um, where Bridget is from and what it was it's Kildara, the Church of the Oak. Mm. That was where the sacred oak was. Or we go to Cullum Kill, Dira again means Dira means the oak. And the oak was the tree. Like we have these accounts from from Caesar and Pliny about the early Celts in the first second century. They worshipped in these nematons, and nematon were um, they were they were like cathedrals of trees in the woodlands where the pagan people used to gather. And it's thought that it was most likely the oak trees they'd worship around. So that was our power tree, and uh, so that's still you go to any like big estate of a, la- a landlord and there'll be very often an ancient oak grove there because mm. that was the sacred place. So what is really weird is that so much of this is still there. It's either in the lives of the saints or the mythology or the place names or even you can just look at the landscape and see um, see the remains of places it, where it's the, 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 the co-opting of the wells by early Christians, I mean, that that kind of, it's, it's a, an Irish aspect to a kind of a global story, isn't it? Like that's what what's one of the things the early church were very good at mm-hmm. is that they didn't go in and say, destroy their temples. Actually, just take over their temples slowly, yeah. incrementally, yeah. kind of, uh, so that one day they turn around like the cuckoo almost and they think, <laughs> so how did this thing get into our nest? Well, we may live with it now. Totally, totally. Um, and what's amazing, as you say, it's, Global. And so in so many wells around Ireland, they'll be told that on a particular day, on the Saints' Day or on Samhain, the, you know, the, fir- the first of November, where the two worlds, this world and the other world, sort of blended into each other, a magical trout or a, or a snake or a pish, a worm or something would appear in the water. And again, you can go to Africa, you can go to South America, you can go all over the world, you'll find that same thing. In Egypt, in Russia, there being holy wells and then these are sacred wells and then this magical creature appearing. These are, they're pre-everything. They're pre-Norman, pre-English, pre-Christian. They're like from the beginnings of time. And it's amazing that we still have them, not only in our mythology, which we record in books, but actually in the speech of the people. You know, you ask your grandmother about the local well and she'd, oh yeah, and there's a certain day that you'll see a silvery magical fish. Mm. So they, they exist in our mythology. They exist, legacies of them exist in our speech. But do they exist in our our history? Ah. Yeah, well, let's say like the Hill of War. No, well, the Hill of Ishnach. The Hill of Ishnach is the central point of Ireland. And um, so, you know, there was, you know, there's four provinces in Ireland, but the Irish is Cúigú, which means a fifth. So where's the fifth province? The fifth province was Mida, Mida, Mead, basically. Mida, the central province. It was the province that united this world with the underworld and the overworld, which was, again, a concept in in um, Sanskrit, in Hinduism, because we had shared the same culture at one time. So Midda was where our world was plugged in, above, below, and to the entire cosmos. And the centre point of it, the almost the navel, was at this on the hill of Ishnach at a place called um, the Isle Nemuiran, the, the sort of the stone of divisions. It's still there. And as you say, so even like um, the Gaelic League had gatherings there. Parnell had gatherings there. But a thousand years ago, Brian Beru had, had gatherings there. And if you go up there, you'll find Dagda, the great earth first goddess, the good god is buried there, according to mythology. Lu is drowned there. Um, sort of Midda himself, who was a, a, do- a son, a foster son of Eru, of the god Eru of Ireland, was there. So that we can go back thousands of years, but still we can just go back a hundred years and say, yeah, that place was 
was not only a mythological uh, uh, site, but it was known to be the centre of transformation. If you wanted to spark a new thing, De Valera gave a great talk there in the 1920s. So even up until historical time. And it's only recently, maybe, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s, that we've forgotten that you, mm. you go to a rural place and you don't have the the local people telling you the, the old lord that was always That's it, because I, I was going to ask whether it was a, an aspect of kind of invasion and conquest that it gets papered over or, or it gets lost. It gets wiped off the, yeah. the chalkboard. But that, not so. I mean, if it was around, if people were still telling these stories, if De Valera was giving speeches yeah. at these sites, it was still very much part of the kind of the public consciousness as recently as 100 years ago. It was amazing. So, yeah, it's like it, it was so unusual what happens in Ireland. There's nothing unique about every culture having this ancient culture. But as you say, most has been wiped out. There was a really powerful central king or central government or central ruler or a massive force of industrialization that wiped out the folk memory. But in Ireland, because we were so peripheral and because we were oppressed and Britain was only really interested in Dublin and Belfast and places they could get money from. So mm. the poor West, they just, the, the Western stone gravelly, windblown shore, they left to themselves their own devices and somehow these stories, and particularly because we had our own language, we were able to encode all of that in it. Um, so as you say, so I can go now to a place like Ishnach and realise that like even within our memories, definitely 1890s, maybe 1920s, they were still lighting these fires, the ceremonial fire that was then you know, every hill around it would have seen this ceremonial fire, fire at um, at Belton, at May, at the sparking of the warming of the soil, a pure pagan thing. So, you know, the soil dies and gets cold in winter. The kailach, the, the destroyer comes in and then the sun rises up again and warms the soil. So there was, you know, symbolic fire at Hilavishnach and then other people saw it and it went these, it became like a fire eye. Everyone would see it and you had a radiant, radiate eye radiating out from the central spoke. Now that was something that I, we have accounts of that going back 1,200 years, mm. it looks very like the lozenge and some of the shapes in the 5,000-year-old Neolithic patterns on Newgrange and now we're never going to know is there a link. But that was happening. You can meet a farmer in the Midlands who said, oh, I'd still... Uh, at Bialtana, I would go to Ishnach, I would light a fire and I would send my cattle through that fire, you know, like 100, 120 years ago, maybe less, like 80 years ago. Yeah. It's 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 remarkable. it's amazing because I know Tolkien has been in the news a bit recently and mm-hmm. people writing features about him because of this new series on Amazon and that there's this speculation that he kind of created this mythology because he felt uh, the Britons were missing a mythology because mm-hmm. because of conquest because you had Anglo-Saxons and then you had Danes and then you had Anglo-Saxons pushing them back and then you had Normans that essentially their their mythology was lost and mm-hmm. he felt a people should have a mythology so he went yeah. out to create it. Exactly, yeah. And he, he was one of the first people to realise that industrialization and rationalization and pragmatic thought obviously gave us so much in the world. It means that you and I can sit in a studio and we have all the technology. But he realised what was missing. To ha- to be growing up, like, like so Donagh McBeal, a man who works for the uh, Udros Nugeltacht up in Donegal, mm. he, gives, he brings me down to the Crawley River and he shows me Drihid na Cairn, the, the bridge of the rowan trees. And his granny told him, you see, rowan trees were protective trees. They had a magic power and they could protect you. And his granny told him there was this dawarhu, this giant beast who would come and swallow young children off the side of the banks of the river. And so the rowan trees, the dawarhu was evil, but the dawr- the tree was more powerful than it, so it protected it. Now, Donacha was believed this when he was growing up. He's like, he's in his 50s. And I was hearing stories like that when I was in West Kerry. Mm. So we did believe exactly what Tolkien wanted, which as he said, he realised if you go to an industrial centre or a big city, you're losing that. You go to rural Ireland where there was particular 
particularly pre-electricity, when it was black at night, mm. that sense of the mythology and maybe the mythology and nature having power um, was still potent. We probably did lose. We, like, definitely, I'm a product of the 1970s. I wasn't, you know, in Donnybrook when I was growing up, I wasn't thinking along these lines. But luckily, because I spent a quarter of my year in West Kerry, it was a slight, you know, touch clo- nearer to it and, and being reared around Blasket Island folk. How, how, does, how does a book like this or work like that, how does it sit against the backdrop of a modern Ireland where so many people now have, have come to this country from abroad to, to make it their home. You know, like as in a, a Brazilian uh, uh, or a kid of Brazilian parents, mm-hmm. if we put it that way, a better example, because they're very they're Irish, they're born here, they're mm-hmm. bred here, they support the Irish team, all of that. They're learning Irish in school, they're playing hurling, whatever it happens to be. But they, they I guess on some level, would feel they can't claim the same sense of ownership or the same connection with yeah, the yeah. stories in this. Totally. So, like, there's two questions there. I mean, how does it first, how does it sit with the modern world itself? And I don't know. Like, this book is so sort of mythological. It's yeah. also for spiritualism. In a pragmatic world, you know, some readers will just think, just get rid of this book. It has no place <laughs> in my world. But your other question is much more, much more interesting. I'm, I'm really aware. When I'm saying, like, Irish, you know, indigenous. I I rarely use the word indigenous without explaining loads, but like a traditional, an Irish tradition that goes back four and a half thousand years ago, years, does that alienate new people? And it possibly does, unless you're just saying it very carefully, but it definitely doesn't alienate them as much as just focusing on Pierce and Connolly and the War of Independence. Mm. Like, that's just about a petty war of nationalism. It was important in its time, but it was just every country had its own nationalism and every country suffered. And for us to go on, oh, we, you know, the English 800 years of oppression, I don't know how a foreigner can connect into that. But when we're trying to say, actually, we're part of a, not only a pan-Europe, mythology, but a pan-Indo-European mythology. So I could sit here for the next three hours and tell you all the links, the exact same links between Ireland and Vedic culture and Sanskrit and Hindu. We, we are identical in terms hey, of the river language. Boyne. Exactly, exactly. The Boyne River is the same as the Govinda, the other goddess. So many Irish words are in Sanskrit. Even the, the format of our mythology, if ever you see it, it'll be a little poetic element and then a long text element, a little poetic. That's the exact same that the most ancient Vedic text from four and a half thousand years ago, because we had the same tradition. So it's really careful that if we start celebrating our past, we don't make it elitist or exclusive. Mm. What we're saying is it's not like this little white race is great. This little white race is actually a nomadic race that came from all over the world. We we arrived here once and settled here. We destroyed people who were here before us, the Neolithic people and the hunter-gatherers. Either they had gone or we killed them, we don't know. Um, and we will probably move on. So it's just, it's, we have to make clear this is just part of an internet, of a global movement of humanity. Paleoanthropology will be the third book, I think, after 32 <laughs> hours of the sea, field and listen to the land speak. Mancon, an absolute pleasure. Ah, thank you so much. It was great to talk again. Uh, Mancon McGann's new book, Listen to the Land Speak, A Journey into the Wisdom of What Lies Beneath Us, is available. Now, stay with us after the break. We'll have all your business news with Emmett. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.